What's up, gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez Peak. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It is a brilliant idea to have a video game podcast. Has yeah, no one tried this before? Many people are saying no one has ever done this before. <laughs> um, currently, we are not even the best podcast name Press Start. There is currently one that is like Press Start colon the Rubber Cock podcast, which is the British way of saying rubber chicken. Um, so I don't know. We might need to get some rubber chickens on the show, but no shade, no shade to them. I, I would love to. I'd love to have them on the show. Yeah, come on the <laughs> get, show. <laughs> come on the show. Get the other press start. The other press start on the show. Yeah. Although, like, I feel like it was kind of an SEO failure of ours that we didn't like Google our show name before we made it to see <laughs> yeah, if anybody else yeah. was using it. Should we rebrand? No. We're in so deep. I feel like we're, we're in way too deep. I think to we just need to be the best press start. Yeah. Again, no shade to the other press start. You guys, I'm sure, are great. I the don't other listen, ones are like sure inactive or they're not in English. So it's like they're on, they're like vibing, you know? Mm. I don't feel threatened, but. You don't feel threatened. I wouldn't feel threatened even if they were good. Like this town's big enough for two of us. Yeah. You know? Podcast yeah. is podcasting's a democratized medium. I don't feel too bad about it, you know? Absolutely. All right. So Ooh. we do have our, our fair share of gaming news. Gaming uh, news. Yeah, oh yeah, I wasn't some... here last week, so I've been I'm like itching to talk about some gaming news. Yeah, how, what do you want to start with? Um, I guess the first thing I want to start with is just that I get a kick out of when I'm not on the show and it's you and Nathaniel and you guys will like address things specifically to me. Oh yeah. And I kind of, I kind of like, hear it in the edit. I feel like we're breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. I know you guys were talking about like the last of us and you were like, oh, I hope we didn't spoil this for Noah. Sorry, Noah. And I'm listening in the edit and I'm like, don't worry about it guys. I've played the last of us. We're good. I know how it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> I actually, uh, I recorded a little chunk in the edit for last week's episode where I was like, hey, listeners, just a word. Uh, Tori didn't spoil The Last of Us for me. I know how this game ends. I, like, thank you. Worry, I guys. love that. <laughs> you did a little bing. Uh, Kirk Hamilton. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I didn't want our <laughs> listeners to think that like you you would spoil The Last of Us for me. Like I do know what Joel does. I'm fully aware. Yeah. So. God, that, that episode goes so hard. That yeah. episode, Someday I'll watch this show. Man. You know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I do, have, uh, I do have our first item of gaming news. So Fortnite has officially launched its new creative tools, and this is the stuff that so Fortnite has always had its like creative mode, quote unquote. This is what lets you make like your own areas. This is what like the Joe Biden campaign did to make like the Joe Biden Fortnite headquarters and the way like Time magazine made like the MLK experience and all like all this. This is all the tools people have been using, but now there are new tools that allowed you to literally do scripting now, scripting your own elements, and it's basically playing with the Unreal Engine tools that are used by Epic to make the game itself. That's so, so cool. Uh, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's like the thing that's cool about Roblox, I guess, is like kids are... Exactly. It gives kids like a chance to like experiment with game development in a way yeah. and really unleash your creativity. I've yeah. always really admired people who can get into this. I'm like, with the exception of writing, I am not a creative person. Like, I do not build shit. Like, I write shit and I edit other people's things. But I mm -hmm. do not, like, build or develop things like this. Yeah. And when it comes to games like Roblox, or even, like, the more, far more pared down, like, Super Mario Maker, where you, like, make stages... Yeah. Or even in Smash. I feel like Smash Brawl had a thing where you could, like, make your own Smash stage. Yeah, it did. It did. I'm so bad at it, dude. Like, I'm so bad at it, and I'm like, no one's telling me what to do, so I don't know what to do. 
type of thing, which is why I've always shied away from stuff like Minecraft. Yeah. Um, I just admire people that are into this. Like if my friend made a thing, I would play yeah. it. So my my first brush with this, other than like you said, like Minecraft and that kind of thing, was a uh, Little Big Planet on the PS3. Did you did you play Little Big Planet? Are you my familiar brother with this? did. Oh, dude, but I did I not. Adored Little Big Planet, and it had such a robust level editor. Yeah, that like the stuff that people made in that game was really incredible. And I remember like I spent hours going through the tutorials to like understand how to move stuff around and how to build things and all this and then like the shitty level that i turned out was truly like the most rudimentary shit imaginable and i just like never figured out how to use those tools better than that but but i agree with you like i'm not crazy on making my own user-generated content Mm -hmm. but i really like other people's user-generated content yeah same like a big part of that, this is something that I saw in a TikTok that I thought was a really good point, is that a lot of times the user-generated content that comes out of platforms like this, allowing people to use their tools, is what ends up creating new genres, new games, that kind of thing. Like the point the person, and forgive me, I don't remember who this TikTok was from, but the, the point the person on TikTok was making was that like MOBAs as a genre were born out of Warcraft mods. We wouldn't have Overwatch without Team Fortress 2, which started as a Half-Life mod. And even mm, stuff like Battle true. Royale games themselves were born out of like those Minecraft Hunger Games servers and like DayZ, mm-hmm. which was an Arma mod. So it's like I I'm sure there is an argument to be made. I'm pulling some of this from a Polygon article about this and I'll link yeah. in the description. It says Epic is going to be sharing 40% of Fortnite revenue with creators who make content for the game with larger shares for those creators who work whose work garners more players' interest and engagement. And so this is a revenue sharing model that's going to roll out or that has rolled out and it's going to be backdated to the beginning of March for people who are doing this. I wonder if there's going to be some shady cash out stuff like it was with Roblox. Wasn't the situation with Roblox where it was like you couldn't cash out the money you earned until it reached some like truly astronomical amount? Like I am I would not put it past Epic for there to be some degree of shadiness here. But the fact that they are democratizing these tools at least a bit, I really think can only be good for the platform, at least creatively you know what i mean yeah that's really cool um yeah i've been seeing some video of it online already and like one of the things i've seen is that people are already remaking old call of duty maps with the fortnite tools oh my god it's really insane just like watching watching a video of like what looks like the old call of duty modern warfare 2 and call of duty black ops 1 maps but like in the slightly cartoony art style of fortnite like, it's very strange, and it's, like, as people get to know the tools better, I'm sure it's only going to get wilder. Yeah, I'm looking this up. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is kind of, oh, it's like the fortress, too, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's really crazy. That's it's crazy. It's like the minute how, the floodgates open. I wonder open. how long it takes to make something like this. Yeah, 
So these look familiar to me from the brief time I played Call of Duty Modern Warfare with my brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have no doubt that some degree of shadiness is going to rear its head with all oh, of this. God, but sure. like, for the time being, I'm just kind of excited that like Fortnite is the new Gary's mod. You know, like, I'm just kind of I'm just going to revel in the excitement of that for a second. <laughs> yeah, this, it's a really cool thing to see. Uh, we have a big if true. We have a couple big if trues, actually. Big if true. Double edition. Double edition. So, uh, <laughs> can I show you the first one of these big yeah, if trues? Yeah, because sure. This is the one that made me laugh the most. So, uh, Into the Aether podcast host Brendan Bigley has relaunched a video game news series that he used to host on YouTube, and it's very good. I, I enjoy it a lot. I saw it in my feed, and I was excited. It's called Wavelengths, and he did a Wavelengths episode on the rumor floating around that F-Zero GX, the GameCube F-Zero game, might potentially get a remake for the Switch. Now, I did a little bit of digging. Uh, for sake of argument, I think the point Brendan made was very interesting. He was arguing that he would much rather see a new F-Zero rather than a remake of a GameCube game. And the concern is that, you know, putting out a GameCube game with a new coat of paint might kind of uh, put the wrong taste in people's mouths. And they might play an old game and be like, well, do we really need a new one of these? You know, rather than playing something built from the ground up for the new consoles. But also... I, I did a little digging on r slash gaming leaks and rumors, and it sounds like this rumor is coming from a dude who goes by Zippo online. Yeah, and Zippo yeah, he's is a, like a he known. is like notoriously mid. Like all the comments yeah. on this post were like, "Why isn't Zippo banned? Like, why yeah. aren't Zippo leaks banned?" He's <laughs> so, just yeah, take this with a with like a handful of salt. It's like totally possible that there is still something to this because I think Zippo has had like a scoop before or like a scoop or two before that made people yeah, take him seriously. It is, it's, it's, been, it's a broken clock, you know, situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I do think there is a possibility, though, especially with the success of Metroid Prime Remastered and then like this continued trickle of older games onto the Switch Online thing, like it would not surprise me if the success of Metroid Prime Remastered, granted this is Nintendo we're talking about, but like any sane video game company might take the message here that like people like our old stuff, it's not that difficult to throw a new coat of paint on it, let's just keep doing that. Nintendo probably won't do that, but that is a lesson you could take away from this. Yeah, and I, I did some research on this. The last F-Zero that came out, which is that GameCube game you uh, mm -hmm. mentioned, came out in 2003. Metroid Prime came out in 2002. Resident wow. Evil 4, looking this up, 2005. Like, it's just it's just the early aughts, baby. Like, we, yeah. we are reveling in what is essentially, like, millennial nostalgia yeah. of their young adulthood. Um so it that's what we're getting and yeah i feel like this is this is the era baby like if they're gonna redo or port or whatever f-zero gx this would be the year yeah um which metroid primary master we'll talk about later um but all i have to say about that right now is that man like some shit stays good yeah some shit really does stay good the other big of true is that a 4chan leaker presented some screenshots that imply that Shimagami Tensei 4 and 4 Apocalypse are being ported uh, to Steam, Switch, and some other places. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Which is interesting because you and I have had a little back and forth dialogue of like, oh, what games are you going to get from the eShop? Which, uh, as we're recording this, eShop closes in like four days. Rest um, in peace, 3DS eShop, yeah. Rest in peace. The interesting thing about this one is that I feel like in, in current year, it's kind of difficult to trust screenshot leaks just because like those oh god those can especially be with like ai oh my god yeah and also just like those were easy to fake back in like the magazine news days you know like a yeah, blurry picture of a fake Korokoro magazine yeah like this kind of shit is so easy to fake nowadays but like it really wouldn't surprise me you know because we're in this push right now where a lot of games that used to be console exclusive are getting ported to pc we just got like the torrent of the older, or not older, but Personas 3, 4, and 5 Royal getting ported to all the other consoles. Yeah. Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne is also on everything. It really does not seem like that much of a leap for 4, 4 Apocalypse, and 5 to get ported to like other consoles. Because it just gives it just gives Atlas more platforms to sell this stuff on. And like with the 3ds eShop about to die like you said and these games about to become mega hot commodities on the secondhand market i feel like it makes really good business sense to just kind of immediately go like hey smt4 and 4 apocalypse are great games and now you can get them on every other platform too so what's going on with disco elysium <laughs> so this is uh this is not big if true this is back to other stuff yeah so this was a news item that i saw a few days ago online Disco Elysium has just rolled out a photo mode. And so I'm I'm taking some of the information in this from a PC gamer article that I'll plug below. Uh basically this photo mode allows you to like take the assets that are in game, like the character models and uh custom text, stickers, that kind of stuff, and build like a scrapbook. So you can like make Harry Dubois do like a funny pose and put Kim Kasaragi next to him and then say like eat my shorts and that kind of thing and then post it to Twitter for all your followers to this laugh feels at like that kind of thing. Of all games, this is like not the game to it do is this with. Very funny that it is this of all the games. But also like this is the kind of thing that I kind of expected fans would just eat up. And I'm sure there is a fraction of the fan base that absolutely would eat this up. However, there's a really from this PC gamer article that I'm pulling from there is a there is a subset of the fan base fairly vocal however small they might be who are not eating this up so they cited a quote tweet from uh, let me back up so the the company that made Disco Elysium this is they are called Zaum or Z A slash U M they were initially billed when Disco Elysium was being made as like a creative outlet where this group of people all got together they were going to share the wealth that was created by this game and like if you've mm -hmm. played disco elysium none of this should surprise you in the slightest absolutely like, not. it was <laughs> it was a very democratized game at least as it was initially pitched now after the game came out after it got popular some stuff started happening and now zaum is embroiled in legal challenges now, I don't know the ins and outs. I have not read the court documents, but my understanding, based on how this has been framed online, is that a group of people in the company have basically created an atmosphere that either forced out or made it such that the original creative leads of Disco Elysium felt like they needed to leave. Mm. 
So now pretty much any new Disco Elysium thing that ends up happening yeah, it's does like not bad. have yeah. it's not the original creative team behind it. It's not even necessarily that it's bad per se, because I don't like I said, this is a really complex court case. But the point here is that like this is not the brainchild of the people who made this game. And yeah. so the this all comes back to the tweet that I was talking about that came from uh, that was referenced in this PC Gamer article that only has 500 likes. So, again, like, I don't know how vocal of a fan base this is, but this person said, you people have one product because you stole it and know you will never produce anything with one one thousandth the artistic merit yourselves. So now you have to grind it down to fertilizer. Whew. Oof. I just very hard tweet, but um. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting that, I don't know, for, I wouldn't say that Disco Elysium is a quote-unquote rabid fandom, it does not have a particularly rabid fandom, but like, if you go onto the Reddit surrounding it, or you go onto the Disco Elysium Tumblr, Tumblr tag, like, there's a lot of memes, there's a lot of drawing the characters in funny situations, and this seems like the exact kind of thing that people would eat up, but there is still a fraction of people who are not eating this up, because they are able to see straight through whatever is being like billed as a fun new update when there is all these legal troubles going on at the company so i don't know it's it's complex um i've been kind of paying attention to this legal thing since the beginning and still only kind of understanding it but it really is interesting that depending on how this shakes out like there might never be anything else disco elysium and we might just be with like just the one thing just this one flash in the pan fucking incredible game and we just might not ever get anything else like i don't know it's very interesting to me yeah it's interesting and it's it's sad but you know it what's is sad not sad if you what's haven't done sad? your taxes yet this anime girl can help you okay yeah, this so is, what is this <laughs> this game on steam which apparently has since been delisted maybe for legal reasons uh 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 tax haven 3000 um okay. is this game where it's an anime style visual novel and dating sim where you talk to this pink haired girl named iris she's very like ulu like and iris. oh my god <laughs> no that's wow. so funny wow and uh she helps you like file for your taxes i'm not even kidding you can also go on dates with her she asks questions like i she puts her little pointer fingers together and she goes i want to ask you something um what's your social security number (laughs) and that's probably why it was delisted right yeah probably (laughs) but it's like really cute and uh apparently this game was only made to for people who file single but like which there's a lot there's a lot of humor there um Mm -hmm. but man fuck the government They, they shut this down Unbelievable. It makes me it makes me think of when we were having the discussion about Pokemon Sleep with Alana a few episodes ago and I was like, what next? Pokemon taxes? Like uh Oh my god, no, is, you were right though. Like when is Free Tax USA just going to like sponsor one of these games? Like I would be totally cool entering my social security number into an anime dating sim if I knew that it was linked up with like Free Tax USA or something, you know? Like but yeah, this is great. Gamify taxes. Fuck it. They're hard. <laughs> they are hard and they get harder if you like are self-employed, have moved to a different state, recently yeah. got married, which are all things I have done in the past 24 months. 
ask me how I know. Um, <clears throat> really doing taxes on hard mode these days. But Free Tax USA actually was a great help to us. Um, this is Shout free, out tax. To free Tax yeah. USA. Free Tax USA, we will do sponsored content. Yeah, um, fuck, fuck TurboTax, fuck H&R Block. Fuck those guys. Use Free Tax USA. It's like the easiest one. And I yeah. think you have to make like... And they don't lobby to make doing taxes harder. Exactly. Like I think you have to make under a certain amount of money to do it. But uh, I don't know what the average income is for our listeners. So I don't know. We got a lot of rich listeners, do you think? I, I don't know. I don't, I, well, maybe. 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 If you are, hit us up. We'll make a Patreon. Hey, I'd love to be someone's... Uh, we don't have a Patreon, but you can... PayPal me money. You could Venmo me some money. That'd be yeah. awesome. <laughs> Press Start is looking for a sugar daddy. Um. <laughs> we don't have a Patreon. We're just looking for uh, one to three sugar daddies to sponsor our gaming podcast. Yeah, thank you. Please, please, please. Um, <laughs> speaking of money. Money. GameStop is doing better um, hmm. financially. They recorded uh, $48.2 million in profit recently. Uh, hmm. which sounds really good on the surface. You're like, damn, is everyone like going to the GameStop? No. What happened <laughs> is really they just closed a bunch of stores. Uh, they've stopped pre-orders and trade-ins in some countries, including Ireland. Um, and at least GameStop a- said, fuck the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> GameStop said, you are not getting any fucking pre-order bonuses for your God of War Ragnarok. I don't care if there's a cool skin. You don't get it. Fuck yeah. you. We hate the Irish. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you will not get your Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom pre-order Spoon and Fork, which is an actual pre-order bonus for that game in some is countries. It really? Yes. Yes. You're looking at this up right now. <laughs> I'm googling it. Yeah, you can probably hear my my Tears of the Kingdom like spoon clacking. or whatever. I think it's in yeah. Japan. I'm looking at this. It is literally just a normal looking spoon and fork that say the Legend of Zelda on them, and they have the little <laughs> I want uh, this Hyrule so thing. Bad. I want I... this really badly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's an Amazon Japan pre order bonus. Yeah. But, damn. Um, damn. All right. But I'm sorry. Continue. I, I, so they've been like reducing stores, reducing staff really drastically. A lot of stores actually only have one person on staff working at them at a time. Damn. Which just shows how bare bones it is. Also, kind of makes conditions kind of dangerous. Like, someone tries to like rob your store. There's literally one person at the register. That's it. Um, so a lot of employees <laughs> have been complaining about that and like overwork. What um, they what they didn't include there is that every single one person who works does get a chainsaw. Yeah, they, they so all you get, get like a free a, chainsaw. Yeah, no they get like a Resident but... Evil chainsaw that they can yeah. use in case they're robbed or something. That yeah. is that is in there. I, I wanted to shout that out. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it's just had me thinking. I was like, people definitely bought more games in the pandemic. I'm sure PS5 is becoming a thing you can actually walk into a store and buy. Probably didn't hurt them financially. Uh, but I was just wondering, Noah, like, when's the last time you went to GameStop? So I'm trying to think um, back when I had like first moved back down to central Florida, it was like a bit of a hike to get to a used video game store. So there mm-hmm. were a couple of times that like I wanted to buy a Nintendo Switch eShop card and I just mm-hmm. went into a GameStop rather than like going into a Target or a Walmart. Yeah. Um, I remember for my birthday, this was probably like two, three years ago, my dad was like, hey, I'll buy you a game as long as it's not expensive. And I wanted to get, this is when I got a Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And I was like, okay, cool. I want to get a physical copy. 
So I went to GameStop and I was going to just pick up a physical copy and then have my dad like reimburse me for it. And I went in and I guess this was like one of the PS5 pre-order days and the line was like going out the door and I just turned around and left. I was like, I'm not doing this. And I think that was the last time I was in a GameStop. Since then, I've just patronized like the used video. I'm like, I live fairly close to one used video game store and then there's another one that's like a little out of my way when I'm driving home. But if I wanted to go to it, I could. Mm -hmm. And like, I would almost always rather patronize those because even if their prices are kind of outrageous, they do at least sell games that are older than like the Wii U, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. That was always kind of the difficult thing for me with GameStop was that like anything quote unquote retro, they just don't sell in stores anymore. And that's like what I want to buy a lot of the time. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, so I went to GameStop a lot growing up. Um, Mm -hmm. I still go to GameStop pretty regularly because there is one literally like a mile away from my house. And it's mm-hmm. right next to like two different food places that Jesse and I really like. And so True. sometimes when we're like waiting to get our food, I'll just like walk over to GameStop and be like, what's what's shaking? And yeah. literally there's like one dude there. Like, that's it. Like, there's one person there <laughs> and he's like, co-workers, what, what's that? And Damn. He, it closes at like 7 p.m. And which like GameStop's used to not close at 7 p.m., bro. No, um, I, I have such a distinct memory of going to GameStop for the midnight release of Super Smash Brothers Brawl. Yeah, my mom, my mom took me to GameStop and I remember waiting outside of GameStop in line to pick up my pre-ordered copy of Super Smash Brothers Brawl so Aww. that when it when it struck midnight, I could go home and I could play Brawl like yeah, I know no, they didn't they're... always stay open until midnight, but like they, they, no, they used to be like they a big thing. Still like nine. You know, generally, but mine is like locking things up at like 630. I'm like, damn, guys. Um, And I go there. Interestingly enough, they I asked him about 3DS games and the guy was like, I got you. And he pulled out a piece of paper. It was like a word document. And he's like, here are all the 3DS games we have left. You're like definitely not the last person to. Oh, you're definitely not the first person to ask me about this. And I was like, wow, like people people are are out here with their 3DSs. It's not just you and me. It's I, gotta, I yeah. take this boy out in the street pass sometime when I'm like in downtown Durham or whatever. Seriously. Um, I might get a hit. I was there last week and I was looking because they have like a small section for like quote unquote old games like mm-hmm. the Wii U. And I checked it and they got they have like original DS games. However, the prices have changed. They had Animal Crossing mm. Wild World. And it was there for like $70. And I was like, Jesus. I don't know about that one, Chief. Jesus, that's um, crazy. I saw. Oh my god! This wasn't a GameStop for seventy dollars originally. Um, what were you saying? No, this wasn't a GameStop, but I was on Facebook Marketplace, just kind of idly scrolling a few days ago, and somebody was selling a copy of uh, Soul Calibur Two for the PS2. Oh my god! I had the GameCube one with Link. I had I had the PS2 one first with Heihachi from Tekken, and I got the GameCube one later. But like the PS2 one still kind of has my heart, honestly. Like Mm. shout out to Heihachi, but uh. They were selling it on Facebook Marketplace for $75. I went to eBay and like huh? copies in box don't sell for more than 20. So I was like, what is it? What is this person huffing that they think they can get $75 for this copy of Soul Calibur? Yeah, like, what I am on? genuinely confused about that. Did you see the thing I sent you about the the Soul Calibur uh four box art for, for yes. the Xbox yeah, 360? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just can't get over. First of all, the bo- the box art and like we've been we've been talking about Soul Calibur a lot lately. Actually, between the two of us, it's great. <laughs> um, I this image 
of Ivy, uh, my my favorite Soul Calibur baddie, going head to head with Yoda on the box <laughs> art. I'm sorry, like I, there's not much better than this. Yeah, we need to return to tradition and reject modernity. We do, honestly. Also, just like man, Soul Calibur Four was so good. I remember, I remember like getting that game and being like. All right, time to play as Darth Vader against all of my favorite Soul Calibur characters. Like, that game was life changing. We had that game too. Uh, We had Darth Vader. And I remember uh, it was so I was living in Texas at the time. Here's a Mm -hmm. weird, like, geographical thing. If you live in Texas, depending how, like, north you are, you're like a day drive away from Denver, Colorado. And so there was, yeah. And so there Hmm. was one day, there there was one Christmas where, uh my dad was like hey instead of going to miami which we do every year do you guys want to drive to denver and we can go skiing and we were like shit we can do that so like one year we actually did that and it was like an eight hour drive but we managed to do it and so we like went to a place where you go skiing or tubing or whatever which is when you like get on a pool float and you slide down a mountain lots of fun Mm -hmm. um and it was great. And then I got food poisoning. Uh, <gasps> this is a recurring theme in my life. Every time I go on big vacations, I always get food poisoning. This has happened huh. to me like four times. It is like, oh my god, I don't know. And it's like, like, oh, you drank the water in a different country. These are like yeah. domestic. Like one of these food poisoning excursions happened to me in New York City. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, oh, you drank the water in New York City? <laughs> no, I ate Chinese food. I ate Chinese Damn. food. What the, like this, the most normie activity in New York City. Anyway. I don't know why I ate in Denver because I was like nine years old, but at some point I couldn't ski anymore. And so, and someone had to watch me. So my brother and I were taking turns playing Soul Calibur 4 in the hotel room because we brought the that. Xbox and we were taking turns so I could put down the controller to throw up. Um, 10 out of 10 vacation. Thanks, dad. Um, <laughs> I'm not personally on vacation with, I will get sick. Uh, That's so funny. It's like the worst. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I do have that one core, like fond memory of Soul Calibur 4. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the one thing that kept that whole uh, Christmas, I guess, from being ruined. <laughs> that is so funny, honestly. I mean, yeah. not funny that like you, you got the you got the bad sickness, but like it is kind of funny that Soul Calibur 4 was your crutch keeping you getting you through this. You know? Get me through it. Um, and yeah, man, I wait, there needs to be another Soul Calibur. And Honestly. not like a shitty microtransaction one. I want like a real one. Yeah. I want one absolutely. where like you, you select your character and it's like the girl from Splatoon or whatever yes. against Baldo. And they're like, yes. in a world. Um, <laughs> a soul the, still burns. This, the splats have taken <laughs> over. Like, I just love how fucking insane those intros are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's always I, like the really deep voice guy and it sounds like he's reading poetry. And yeah, you're like, what they should the put f- Baby and, Yoda yeah. in it. And it's like, yeah. from a different realm, he. Yeah awakens i think like, you put the mandalorian in it yeah like, i think you put the mandalorian in it i think that'd work that wouldn't be even that crazy you know like they could just no, throw him in there and pedro pascal has done uh video game voice acting before as well he could be like this there is the go. way um and it's like it's fine um damn you keep was, it up with the mandalorian have you have you watched any of that recently i watched the first two seasons and then mm-hmm. the, there was like oh yeah there's mandalorian episodes inside of boba fett and I'm like, yeah. why the fuck did they do that? Yeah, 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 um, they did that. And then I watched those, and then that was it. Yeah. I, I've watched uh, one episode of the third season so far, but I've been keeping up with, like, the spoilers and stuff. And, like, 
I mean, I'm gonna watch them eventually. I've just been really busy and I haven't been able to watch them as they've been airing. But like, there's some there's some wacky shit going on in that show. There's some there's some wacky shit happening. So yeah, that's all. Is, that's all I'm gonna say. Is the Mandalorian like Pedro Pascal's busy with other things like The Last of Us? Is he, is he mm. still in the show? Is Baby yeah. Yoda still in the show? Yeah, baby Baby Yoda's still there. Baby Yoda okay. is still there despite the the big moment in season two being that Baby Yoda would not be there actually. Yeah, because that was and, the whole thing. Uh, he was like, okay, like. You're gonna stay here now, or whatever. Like it was kind of yeah. like a, a break yeah. in the arc. But, but that's like... that's what happened in the Boba Fett episodes was that uh, yes. Baby Yoda came back. Yeah. Yes. So then people, I, I thought yeah, this was the like, silliest but, thing. Yeah, but they're like, this motherfucker sells way too many eyeshadow palettes and squishmallows. <laughs> like we gotta keep them on. <laughs> it's really funny too because it's like, uh, if you're if you're like a more casual fan who didn't watch the Boba Fett show, so you just went from Mandalorian season two to Mandalorian season three. There, there are like our people in this world who watched season two, saw the really dramatic handoff of Baby Yoda to his people, and then begins season three, and he's just back. And like one of the characters even addresses this. He's like, "I thought you, I thought your mission was to get the child up." And uh, uh, Pedro Pascal's character looks at the Baby Yoda, and then he looks back at the other character, and he goes, "It's complicated." <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, yeah, dog, it is. It That's is complicated. That's the most Joss Whedon fucking line. <laughs> That's like, it pivots and Baby Yoda re-enters. And like, what? So that happened. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that happened. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Hate I hate that. I, I have my problems with The Mandalorian, but I still think it's like generally a pretty fun time. Like, Yeah, I mean, none of these shows yeah. are horrendous. I'm just, just, just don't walk in expecting like, you know, like... I don't know, like Game of Thrones tier story building. I don't know. Or like or even like Andor. Like I feel so spoiled. I need to watch Andor. <sighs> Andor is so good. But that's the problem is like after having seen Andor, now I know that's like possible in the Star Wars realm. Yeah. And, and then you that, watch like, and then you watch Mando and you're like, man. And, but the thing like, is it's like Mando's not even aspiring to be that. Mando is aspiring to be more of like a weekly kind of pulpy thing. So it's unfair to compare the two. But even still, like Andor was shot like in real places with real people physically being in the room with each other. So sometimes like when they pan to these locations in the Mandalorian and it's like just so clearly CGI, I'm just like Remember when they panned to that shot of the Scottish Highlands in Andor, and I still believed that it was an alien planet, even though I knew it was the Scottish Highlands? Like, I was so spoiled. The magic so spoiled. of Star Wars. The magic, the magic of, Star of Star Wars. It's something else. Um, yeah. That was a huge digression. Do you want to talk about what games we've been playing? Yeah. So, what have we been playing? Uh, I can go first, since I was gone last week. Um, yeah, go for it. So the first thing I want to shout out is not a game, but a book. I started reading Fight Magic Items by Aiden Moore. Aiden Mower? I'm not actually sure how you pronounce this person's last name, but it's a really good book. It's it's basically a history of Japanese role-playing games, JRPGs, if you will, traced through the lens of a person in America who was really getting into these games when they were kind of peaking in the late 80s into the 90s and this kind of thing and uh i i'm still in like the first 10 percent of the book per the kindle reading that i'm on actually i think i might be at like 15 but i'm i'm in the first chunk of the book and um so far a lot of it has been how did we get to how the jrpg is even born so it's like how did Yuji Horii, the guy who created Dragon Quest, start playing 
PC RPGs from America like Ultima and Wizardry, how did Yuji Hori get into Dragon Quest? And then how did this kind of like begin this snowball of like Yuji Hori makes Dragon Quest with his little band of people? And then it's just like a snowball effect of other people getting into making console RPGs because of this. And it's fascinating. Like, I, I just read through the chapter that introduces uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, the guy who ends up, like, being the main creative force behind Final Fantasy. Yeah. And it's just, it That's is so, cool. so, so fascinating. Um, my two main takeaways so far are that, one, especially given all of the the discourse around G4 and JRPGs mm. as, like, yeah. a genre marker that we've had recently, to see somebody, especially somebody who grew up in North America, talk about Japanese RPGs like reverently rather than disparagingly like when when this guy talks about JRPGs he is fawning over them this is somebody who who grew up with this stuff and has such a deep reverence for just like the work that people like Yuji Hori and Hironobu Sakaguchi and all these people who paved the way for all like the the direct line that they carved from them to stuff like undertale is like just one example like it is yeah. there is oh, so yeah, much sure. reverence and it's it's really cool and the other thing too that's a big takeaway is that like from my experience growing up in the 2000s and really playing a lot of games that came out in the 90s final fantasy always seemed like the big behemoth to me and mm-hmm. that's because like we grew up when Final Fantasy had already hit its peak. Like yeah. seven, seven, eight, nine was like its peak here in the US. Yeah, and but then even 10. ten. Like I remember my brother huge. playing ten. Like, and the crazy thing too is that like seven, eight, nine, and ten came out like back to back to back to back. It was like that's seven, the thing. I it's always crazy. That's the thing that always kind of shocks me about like game development taking like a decade in two consoles these days. Yeah. As you look back at those old games. And it's like they were cranking those out like every year. Like yeah. I think about like Persona Three and Persona mm-hmm. Four came out two years of each other. Jesus. And like man, and then the jump from like four to five was like a decade. Yeah. And then now it's been like almost six years since the original five came out. So it's just like, yeah, they really did used to crank them out. But to be fair, Square Enix was not always cranking out like ten out of ten games. Like they had the bouncer, okay? Like yeah, they had yeah, yeah. they had some like they had some interesting ones. And to this day, Square Enix is known for kind of like they'll throw out five games in two years and like one yeah. of them's a banger. And then you've got like Stranger of Paradise and Harvestella and Forspoken. And you're like, all right. But even um, still, like But even then. Yeah, putting out like the release schedule goes Final Fantasy 7 launches in 97, then 8 launches in 99, 9 launches in 2000, and 10 launches in 2001, and then they launch 11, the MMO, in 2002. Like, that's nuts. Launching that, that nuts. many, like, core series games back to back to back is crazy. So for, for me and for, like, given the time we grew up, Final Fantasy was, like, the main juggernaut in this field. Oh, yeah. But and because of that, like uh, when I played Dragon Quest Nine on my DS when I was younger, that really felt like I was playing like the underdog, you know, like mm-hmm. Dragon Quest felt like it was comparatively smaller than Final Fantasy was. And part of that is because Dragon Quest has just never sold as good as the Final Fantasy games in the US, except maybe like the first one or two on the NES. 
But in Japan, this is completely the inverse. Uh, Yuji Horii was kind of an unknown, but since he had teamed up with some of the core people who were involved in Dragon Quest from the beginning and remained attached to it, like Koichi Sugiyama, who did the music, who also, like, he's dead now. That guy was such a horrible dude. Just, like, an absolute shit guy. Like, the music he did for the Dragon Quest games is very iconic. I won't doubt that. But he was, like, an active war crime denialist and, like, super, super anti-LGBT. Like, that guy sucks. But, like, he was apparently really well-known because he had had, like, a whole career in, like, composing music for TV shows. So you've got a known person doing the music, and then Akira Toriyama, the Dragon Ball guy, did the art even for the first couple ones on the NES and continues to do it to this day. And so... To be able to market this game, even if it was as a console RPG, kind of a new thing, it had these like huge names behind it. Whereas Final Fantasy was like, it was nothing. It was a company, Square, that it had like a spotty reputation for putting out good games and they had never made a console RPG like this. And then it's this weird motley crew of like the lead artist who had never done video game art before. And their lead coder for the game was, like, not even Japanese. He was a dude from the U.S. Like, just like a a really wacky band of people that ended up putting out a game that is, like, like, the Final Fantasy series is still huge. And it's really crazy to think that, like, in Japan and even and then it was that was the underdog. And nowadays, Final Fantasy, like, like, there have been some some stinkers in that series, but like. By and large, people are really excited for Final Fantasy 16. So yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm really liking this book so far. I really like the the writing style, and it's kind of the the exact kind of nonfiction I needed to kind of get back into reading stuff. So I'm I'm really liking it. Nice. Um, again, that is Fight Magic Items by Aiden Moore, spelled A-I-D-A-N-M-O-H-E-R, if you're interested in checking this out. Um Another non-game thing I want to shout out, dude. The new 100 Gex album is so good. It's yeah, so, I've only listened to so like one or two good. songs, including "Dumbest Girl in the World." But like, oh my god, man. it's so good. Like, it's so I, good. We talked about this a little bit off the show. I was not like crazy, crazy into 1000 Gex, like their first album. I thought it was good. There were some good tracks on there, but I didn't really ever like sit down and listen to it front to back. Granted, when they put out the remix album. The remix of Ringtone with Charlie XCX and Sarah Bonito Perry was on like heavy, heavy, heavy repeat for me in 2020. But they dropped their second full length album, 10,000 Gex, like a week or two ago. Banger, 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 bangers all the way through. I fucking adore this album. I have been listening to it nonstop. And it makes me feel like such a goofball walking around listening to like 100 Gex. But their music is just so good. I'm so absolutely Gek pilled. So. You should listen to the new 100 Gex album. Now the main uh, event. Um, I guess this is kind of a crossover item. We're both playing Metroid Prime, and I would like to talk about this a little bit. Yeah, so just for context, I am playing Metroid Prime Remastered on my Switch, and mm-hmm. Noah just had the OG Metroid Prime on him. He he kept that thing on him. I kept that thing on me. It's a GameCube copy that only has the disc. The case is one of those like shitty GameStop cases. Oh, you know, like the one used, that has like yeah, yeah used game. It has like the shitty GameStop art. So uh, I don't have yeah. the original game case or booklet, but I do have a Metroid Prime disc floating around. So when I heard last podcast that you were playing Metroid Prime Remastered, I was like, 
I've never actually played more than like 45 minutes of this game. Let me crack this bad boy open and start playing it. Um, yeah, it's one of those games. I know it's like one of the goats, but I've never gotten into it. And like, there's yeah. two things that stopped me. One was the first time I tried playing this game. I was six. Yeah. Um, and that beginning was, is dense. There's a lot going is on. Dense. I, so there is first time I played this game. Now I know like where parts of the game are called now that I'm like mm-hmm. pretty far into it. My cousin and I were at my grandma's house and he's playing it. He brought the GameCube. Um, and he was in Talon Overworld and he got in the morph ball and mm-hmm. he was doing something. I think my grandma called him out or he had to do some like homework or whatever. And he was like, here, play. And he handed it to me. He's like 13. No, hmm. I'm like, I'm like five or so. So he's, he has like 13 or 14. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was like, here, play this. And I was in the morph ball mode and I got stuck. Like I didn't know how to unmorph ball myself. And that was my like primary memory of Metroid Prime. And then. Nice. Years pass. I I have the Wii, and that whole trilogy got like ported onto the Switch. Mm-hmm. Or one and two got ported onto the Switch. Three was like actually or ported the onto the, the Wii. The, you mean, uh, yeah. Ported onto the Wii. I think three just like released on the Wii, if I remember correctly. I think so. Yeah. But there was like, for- a Metroid Prime trilogy like yeah. game, and I I had that, and I played like like you said the first forty five minutes of one, mm-hmm. and frankly, I think it was just because of the motion controls. Yeah. With that console, but I got like sick. I got like motion sickness from it. And so you've talked about this before having issues with motion controls. Yeah. Yeah. And it was that game that literally made me think I was like, oh, man, like I'm not built for shooters. They give me motion sickness. And I've had this thought in my head for like 12 years. Yeah. And so I play Metroid Prime Remastered. I like keep the receipt from GameStop. I'm like, or sorry, not from GameStop, from Amazon. It was not in stock at GameStop. It kept running out at GameStop. Um, Mm -hmm. I got the receipt because I was like, I might return this if it makes me sick. Yeah. I'm playing it on the Switch with like the Pro Controller and like I'm fucking enjoying it and I'm not getting sick and I'm not yeah. stuck in morph ball mode. That's awesome. Um, hell yeah, brother. Maybe I just grew out of it or maybe I'm just playing it with like actually decent controller. Um <laughs> I I want I wanted to ask you too, like you have since played other Metroid games too. Like you, you are more familiar with the. Uh, I hate to 2D. say the Metroidvania style, but like, yeah, you've played two D games like this. Like, do you think does your experience with like Metroid Dread map onto this at all? Um, it kind of doesn't. It kind of doesn't. So one thing about Metroid Dread is that Metroid Dread like makes you work for those mm-hmm. power ups. Like, man, you get a power up after you've been through like a major boss. One of those like guys who makes all the lights turn off and you have to do a parry move kind of soulsy mm-hmm. um in a way like you have to you get a power up like once every two hours and it's like it's like an uphill battle to yeah. get power ups when you really when you get it it feels like you earned it yeah whereas with this game there are power ups like out the wazoo mm-hmm. and like as soon as you land on talon four you get like three of them off the bat yeah. Like you get the morph ball, you get the charge shot or whatever. Like you, you get, I think, missiles super quickly. Mm-hmm. And you get them within like the first hour or two. And I remember being kind of shocked, being like, oh my God, like, am I, am I OP? Like, this I, is kind of weird. The thing I really like about that, though, and that you kind of get more once you get into the Chozo Ruins area where yeah. like you start getting the, the charge beam and that kind of stuff, which is where I am. I'm like, I'm getting through the Chozo Ruins. So I like, okay, yeah. I have the charge beam. I have the bombs for my morph ball, but I'm kind of like working my way through like the area with the poison water and that kind of thing. Yes. And uh, 
Part of the reason I actually like was so eager to jump into this when I heard you talking about it was I think I shouted this out the last time we talked about the remaster was the episode of video game Podtimism where they started talking about this game. And one of the things uh, one of the hosts said was that rather than the anxiety of Metroid Dread, which I didn't even play, but I know a lot about because I talked to you about it. This Boy, game there's was, some dread. That's what, I, that's what I had heard. Yeah. But yeah. The, the thing they said was that the, the main like the main motivating action in this game was creativity and cur- or was curiosity. Like, yes. And yeah, and that's absolutely. what I just, like once you get to the Chozo ruins, like you I've learned so far that I need to go down every path available to me because down one of the paths I might not have gone otherwise, there might be an energy tank, like mm-hmm. something that boosts my max HP. And it's very rewarding to like go down a route that I might not have otherwise gone and to get something for it. And plus, like, I want to see all this. Like the one of the main verbs so far for me, I don't know if this is true for you still, is switching to my scanning visor, which is not oh, yeah. even that's not even offensive. Like you're not even attacking. You're just like R2D2 scanning stuff and doing like boop, 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 boop. And then it gives you like a little reading that says like, hey, this is what you're looking at, or hey, we've updated your bestiary or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't scan everything in every room I go into. But it's it's really cool that that's one of the main ways you interact with the world. Like it, with my controller, it feels a little clunky sometimes because I have to kind of like since it's not twin stick on the GameCube, I have to hold down the right trigger button to aim upwards and down. And then I have to hold the left trigger to scan things. So the controls are a little clunky on the GameCube, but I really like that one of my main verbs is just like scan observe and like learn yeah. about the world around me it's really yeah cool. i love finding little bits of chozo lore oh my yeah. god i've been reading up on those um there's another set of lore that i'm not gonna spoil for you but it's mm-hmm. like enemy lore not bestiary Ooh. but lore from like enemies oh that's cool and it's really cool and uh yeah i love the skating part of this game and like i say yeah. the word for me is wandering like mm-hmm. i am like oh about this path oh oh yeah i can like do this i can open up that type of door now and like yeah every metroid game and metroidvania game has that mm-hmm. but with it being a 3d world it's just so much more expansive and no i don't feel dread because there isn't some like crazy ass monster that can only parry within one frame or instantly die, <laughs> which is nice. Um, I can just like vibe and like just dis- just discover places. And it's so mm-hmm. much fun. Um, there are some beautiful like landscapes in this game. Mm-hmm. Like the Talon overworld is beautiful. The um, oh my god, what's it called? Fendrana, which is a snow world you'll encounter mm-hmm. later on, is beautiful. Oh, cool. Uh, the music slaps in this game. Like, yeah, the music's awesome. Oh my god! Like the the opening uh title theme, the bum 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 is so like nostalgic for me whenever I yeah. hear it because it's it reminds me of like my cousin booting that up on his GameCube at my grandma's house. Also, can um, I say like there is nothing like I I don't think that the Metroid games has like have like the best music of any Nintendo series like no I, obviously like I think Zelda's still got that bag but like and especially since I have not played as many Metroid games as I have Zelda's like there are fewer tunes that stick out to me as like like big things granted I, the ones I do know I probably know more from Smash anyway or like Super Metroid <laughs> having played that but yeah. like there is nothing more epic than that tune that the game plays when you hit like a save or like when Samus mm. is first introduced on screen the 
do 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 like that is yeah. so fucking cool something about that little jingle it's like oh yeah samus is a fucking badass like you, yeah. you hear that and it's like those, samus is those gonna wreck tiny your little shit. sound effects are so good and this game has so much like techno bleeps and bloops going on like mm-hmm. it's it's kind of it's funny you say though that like yours is really pretty like the main thing I keep thinking playing mine is that this game is really dark. Like, I'm in the Chozo ruins, and like I said, there are areas that are just, like, so fucking dark. I've gotten into certain yeah. rooms where I've, like, needed to switch to the morph ball because the morph ball gives off more ambient light, and I can just, like, Yeah, see I think this more. got to be, like, a GameCube thing, because they definitely lightened and brightened it up and, like, added more detail in yeah. the landscapes. Um, dude, the music for the Magmore Caverns is just, like, the next area you're about to yeah. hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, I can hear, like, I'm looking at the composer who composed Metroid Prime. Mm-hmm. He's not, like, he's done a lot of other things, uh, some Donkey Kong stuff. He actually was one of the composers for Breath of the Wild, interestingly oh, cool. enough. Um, but that's, like, the Magmore Caverns music is, like, the Metroid equivalent of, like, Fire Temple. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's just, like, grunting choral sounds and, like, just such so much fun. Um, yeah. Love the vibes. I mean, if Metroid is good for one thing. It's for like strong vibes. Oh, absolutely. Like Metroid absolutely. really runs on those. And uh, I've been just been having a great time. Um, I think it's really cool, too, that like the two of us are playing versions of this game that are separated by two decades. Yeah. And they changed so little other than just like quality of life stuff. And yeah. that's also just like not a bad thing. Like yeah. so many times remakes will come out that are just like facelifts surface level facelifts and the result is a game that feels incredibly dated but like even playing this on the gamecube and i want to hear more of your thoughts on this like it really does not feel super dated beyond the controls are you are you observing that or i don't feel like the controls are dated at all honestly like it's it's fine yeah so this game again i'm playing like a a one with a nice little facelift but it feels Mm -hmm feels pretty modern in that way um yeah i love the puzzles in this game they're a lot of fun um and where i am so i'm actually pretty close to the end uh this game is not that long uh Mm -hmm. most metroid games are not really long yeah and so i have done basically i've gotten all the power-ups um so i'm doing kind of crazy shit i'm like shooting fire out of my cannon like straight up like lava that's awesome <laughs> out of my can honestly busted ability yeah there are some optional abilities you can go you can get at the end that are slightly trickier to get and those are busted i mm-hmm. highly recommend it get the lava cannon it's not huh. called that it's called something else but get that yeah um <laughs> really great i'm at this point where i am just collecting some items some essential story items as well as like i i do have an ign guy pulled up of like here are the energy tanks and missile expansions you missed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hundred percent it, but like, I would like to comfortably get to like 200 missiles mm-hmm. and I would like to get ideally all the health. I am kind of a hundred percenter when it comes to health. Cause like health is health. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been really enjoying it and I'm kind of sad for its end. One interesting thing though, I wanted to point out is that this game has like not that many big, like main story bosses. Like, I'm not talking mini bosses. I'm talking like when a boss shows up on screen, it has like the name on the bottom. You're yeah. like, oh shit, like this is a boss. Hmm. This, like, I'm towards the end of the game, and I think I've had like two or three of those. Oh, wow. Only. That's interesting. Especially since is, like 
Yeah, but this game is full of like recurring enemies. Like there's mm. a particular recurrent enemy that just likes to come in and you're and the whole music changes and I'm like, fuck these guys again. <laughs> so it has a lot of those. And there are some there's some mini bosses, but like big boy, like official bosses, there's not that many, at least mm. that I've encountered. And I would say I'm about in terms of like story, I think I'm about like 70% of the way through the game, according to my the walkthrough in IGN. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, whereas like Metroid Dread was like, man, you had to, you had to face a boss to get like every single ability. It felt like, mm-hmm. like the boss was frequent. Um, hmm. So just a different, a different take. Yeah. But well, I it's... really, really like this game. Yeah. I've heard that prime two is not that good, but prime three is good. I've heard really good things about prime three. Yeah. So I, we can only hope that like, those will eventually get ported to Switch as well because I know they are not cheap on the secondhand market. But yeah, uh, the, one sure. more element here too. I mean, like, I want to shout out. This is a piece in uh, Waypoint by Patrick Klepek, one of the hosts from Vice or from a uh, Waypoint Radio, and I really like. He makes the point here that Metroid Prime was just like when it came out. Metroid Prime was a different game, and it was a different game in like it's broadly recognized let me just read this is a little snippet here from patrick's piece he says metroid prime is broadly recognized as a masterpiece but in its wake we have not been flooded with dozens of imitators instead metroid prime with its focus on patient and sometimes purposely frustrating exploration overall stands alone there is nothing else to scratch the itch of metroid prime except more metroid prime and it's what makes revisiting the game curious and rewarding because it feels like playing it for the first time all over again and like mm. that was something I was struck by playing like those first opening chunks of it is that the main way that you aim on the GameCube is by locking onto things because this has like the 007 golden eye strategy of first person yeah. where yeah. you have to hold down a button to aim vertically. There's no Ooh. dual stick thing. So the yeah, main so way fun that you thing lock about onto the things, switch. Yeah. you have dual stick, don't you? Like <laughs> yeah, the main I do. way to lock and onto things lock on. <laughs> in the GameCube is like locking. So it almost makes it feel more like a Zelda game where I'm walking around locking onto things repeatedly. But like in revamping the controls and next to nothing else, they've like mostly kept it the same. And that's just so cool. Like I have so yeah. much respect for that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a beautiful love letter to the original game. It makes yeah. me it makes me want two and three to become available. Mm-hmm. It, they've got to be. They've got to yeah. make those available on the Switch. I feel like they're going to do it. They might it not remaster, a- but like a port I can live with. Um, and also four, where are you at? Um, <laughs> well, I want proof of life of Metroid Prime 4. I feel like we haven't Seriously. heard about her in a long time. Seriously. Can I shout out one more thing before we yeah. hear what else you're playing? Um, so my partner has been asking me to shout this out for a minute. I've gotten multiple TikToks sent to me by her that are like breaking down the incredibly complex lore of the Just Dance series. I did not play these games, but I did. I I didn't know that like the characters have names and they're like or maybe not names in game, but like the community colloquially refers to some of these characters as like lady as like uh, let's dance and uh poker face and like the songs that they appear in and also that like the characters are recurring like it's uh she sent me this tiktok that was like this character who's who appears in the background of this song is thought by the fandom 
to be the child of these two characters who appear in Rasputin and Let's Dance by Lady Gaga. And it's like, what? Like, there's lore to just dance? Oh my god, that's wild. Anyway, I will try to find one of these TikTok videos and drop it into the description because it's truly wild to me that, like, there is not only this much lore for Just Dance, but also that people are paying this close of attention to the background of the Just Dance maps to, like, share these and, like, understand this. <laughs> Thank you. I, Thank you for that. I'm excited to delve what... <laughs> into the Just Dance lore. I think that's all I have, though. Uh, you already talked about Metroid Prime, but what else have you been playing? Yeah, so this is like, I feel like I'm like seven years late to the party or whatever. Um, but I I started playing Stardew Valley recently with mm-hmm. Jesse. Uh, Jesse like approached me. He's like, hey, I know you're like playing stuff lately, but like, he's so cute when he asked this. He was like, I see a lot of couples play Stardew Valley together. <laughs> and I haven't played a game with you since it takes two, like literally two years ago. Yeah. Uh because Jesse and I just enjoy like very different types of games. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I see on Twitch and stuff like couples play Stardew Valley together. Mm-hmm. It's really cute. And they can like you can co-op on the same farm so we could play together at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, that is really cute. And so we did our research because I have it on the Switch. I was like, oh, if we can like play like if you play on your PC, I could play it on my Switch handheld. We can do that. But man, this will really surprise you. But apparently Nintendo consoles are really not great with online multiplayer. Uh, breaking news and so you mean a nintendo console doesn't have particularly good online infrastructure that's crazy yeah, especially especially cross-platform it would have thunk yeah really um and so he's playing it on his computer and i'm playing it on my on our steam deck we just have separate steam accounts basically this is how this works is you can't share the same copy of a steam game in co-op gotcha so i had to like buy the game again or i I was gifted to me the first time I bought it. It's fifteen dollars, whatever. Okay. Um, and so he's playing it on the on the desktop, and I'm playing it on the Steam Deck, and it's so cute. And we named the farm after our cats, and we got a cat. Um, and so we're currently. I love that we're we're kind of trad in this game. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like in real life, we're not that trad. Like we very much divide like our household chores, and I am very like invested in my career. But like in Stardew Valley. I am like fishing and tending to the garden and he's like going into the dungeon and killing all the slimes like a real man. And it's great. And we're like mining and we're trying to do quests and we're trying to get enough money to build a coop. So it's really great. Um, I went fishing in that game the other day and there was a little feature where uh, you can sometimes catch random items while you fish. Mm hmm. And I caught a diamond. So, like, that's sick. That's, like, a rare gem. Yeah. Uh, So I donated it to the museum because I kind of have, like, that equivalent of, like, a Blathers, like, Animal Crossing museum thing. So it's been fun. It's just fun to, like, uh, play the same game as him and, like, talk about stuff as we're doing it. He'll be, like, off to the mines. And I'm, like, watering the plants. What's up? So it's, like, a cute couple activity. That's cool. Uh, that I've been enjoying. But yeah, that's um, pretty that's, much it. That's really neat. I'm I'm kind of amused that it took you this long to get the Stardew Valley, especially knowing that you like have a history with the Harvest Moon games. But like, I'm this glad game is so Harvest here. Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that it just like totally apes from Harvest Moon that I did not realize until I spent a little bit of time with a Harvest Moon. And then I was like, oh, holy <laughs> shit. Like, this is just like Stardew Valley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy. That game has sold. Stardew Valley has sold 20 million copies. Damn. 
So honestly, it's more successful than I think any Harvest Moon has ever been. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So. That's so neat. And it's so funny because it's like they're, they're like whole ass farming sims that have come out since then that are mm-hmm. inspired by Stardew Valley rather than inspired by Harvest Moon. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really created like a whole new benchmark for what those kinds of games can be in a way that I honestly, it honestly seems at times like the mainline Story of Seasons games are still like trying to catch up to, which is kind of insane. Yeah. It also has me like anytime I think about Stardew Valley and how good it is, just like super excited for the next game that Concerned Ape is making. The the Chocolatier one or whatever it's called, yeah. like the Haunted Chocolatier or something. Like just some new content in that same font, basically. Because whatever it is, it looks like it's just Stardew Valley in a different font. And I'm here for it. I just want more shit like that that is just a little different, you know? Yeah, it's it's great. I am I I'm such a fan of Stardew Valley. It's bringing me all the magical melody flashbacks. Yeah. So. I'm not gonna say the same thing. Can you say a little bit of Lisa before? Sure. What I really like about Stardew Valley. Soki also likes Stardew Valley. It's a nice change of pace. The world's moving so fast. And I think it's really nice to have room for rest and relaxation. And when we're up late in the game at 1 a.m. and you're fishing and I'm in the dungeon, I know that, you know, I'll see you soon in the, the house and we get to do it another day, you know? It's fun working towards goals together, having a mutual project that we're both benefiting from is really nice. It's kind of just a really good time. And I, I really enjoy seeing you have as much fun as I am having. And it's great to just kick back and drink a beer and play a fun, relaxing game with you. Story. Aw. And even Spooky says aw. Whew. Wait, can I shout out one more thing? I know we've been yeah, going for a minute, go but I want to shout out one last thing. Uh, this is a bonus news item here at the end. I was going to bring this as a big if true, but in the time between when screenshots were leaked and the, like, screenshots were leaked and I was going to bring it as a big if true, but before we recorded the show, it got like officially shown off because the screenshots leaked. This is okay. the new Lego racing game called Lego 2K Drive. And this, there was, I think this was actually a big if true when there were rumors floating around about this. We talked about it because it was, it's like a weird instance of a lego game that is not a licensed game which doesn't happen yeah, very like a often Batman or a star wars exactly this is more akin to like lego island on the pc back in the day like it's it's very different but it looks like it's in the mold of like forza or burnout paradise like basically a big open world racing game where there will be activities for you to do but it's just like this beautiful world that you get. It's called like Bricktopia or Brickopolis or some shit like that. And you just go through this world and it's launching on like every console under the sun. It looks very cool. I I don't know about you, but I was huge into Burnout Paradise in like the PS3 era. Yeah, we had that game too. Oh, it was so good. And like 
I know there have been games that have been like that that have come out since, but I have really been chasing that high of just like an open world racing game that I can just turn off my brain and just drive around and do activities. And I think there are Forza games that are like this, but I've never been an Xbox guy, so I have not ever been able to mess with the Forza games. And this game looks awesome. Like it looks so have you, pretty. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Have you ever been a Gran Turismo guy? I I've tried. I, I own Gran Turismo 3 for the PS2, and I've never really dipped I've dipped a little bit into it. That uh that super realistic get your licenses and drive real cars driving game is like really attractive to me. But I've just like never put in the time, you know? Yeah. Jesse's been playing Gran Turismo 7 and he like loves it. Yeah, it looks so, really cool when it came it's out. It's beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, that was what I wanted to shout out was this really cool Lego racing game that looks like it's both a spiritual successor to like Burnout Paradise and also Lego Island, a game that I played just a shitload <laughs> of on our old like Windows 95 PC when I was growing up. So Yeah. I love the spectrum we just discuss of racing games from Lego racing to Gran Turismo 7. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's like that's the full spectrum right there. Everything else fits within the it's like uh and then I feel like there's like one chaotic pole and there's somewhere that's like, I don't know, like twisted metal. And then like, like within that ball. triangle. Like, yeah, yeah. Within that triangle is like every racing game imaginable. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. So I make like a political axis, but like, <laughs> racing games. <laughs> Grand Turismo is definitely off right, like for yeah, sure. Yeah, not yeah. not any judgment call on like the people who play it, but like no, no, definitely no. like if you ran into Grand Turismo at a house party, it would probably talk to you about like the superiority of like uh like European culture. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Oh fuck. I think that's all we got today, though. Uh, I think that is, yeah. Unless you want to talk about any other random games that have leaked on the internet recently. Yeah, I think we're. I think we've covered all all our bases this week. Where can people find you on the internet covering even more bases? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore as underscore always. I'm on Twitter at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H U R T S. The podcast is on Twitter at Press underscore Start Pod and on Tumblr at Press hyphen Start Pod. Shout out to the artist Geist for our opener, closer, and fun sound effects. You can listen to more of their stuff at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. Our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. And you can email in the show with uh, your favorite racing game or what the political alignment of your favorite racing game is at heypressstart at gmail.com. As always, if you're a regular listener and you want to leave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use, we would very much appreciate it. And I think that covers the rest of our bases. Uh, Anything else you want to add here, Tori, before we before we bid adieu to the listeners? I would say stay safe. Watch some Soul Calibur character introduction narratives. Mm. Yeah. um, And play play a Metroid (laughs) Prime. (laughs) Any any Prime. Thanks for listening, and and remember, uh, a tale of two blades, a soul still burns.